welcome to another edition of the brain mathematics summit well i take this as a talk show and uh, i want to talk about the secrets of success in maths there are many people who struggle with mathematics and yet some people seem to have no trouble at all is there something different in their DNA or is some super or advanced in their memory well the answer to that is simple just take a walk keep walking keep walking that will do the trick the answer is little of the second but the last is that scientific research suggested or suggests that those who are good at mathematics do have some area of their brains more active during mathematical activity however this increased brain activity could be a result of increased mathematical training much like how an athlete's muscle improve with training regular mathematics exercise help to improve the performance of those brain areas associated with mathematics again like an athlete in training there is need to have an underlying skill and a good coach and that is why in big brain educational network we play the role of coaching the learner and the teacher to arrive at that destination. All of us possess the minimum underlying skill, but not all of us are fortunate enough to have a good coach at the critical time when we are ready to roll. Majority of those who call themselves teachers today yet they teach mass but we are never fortunate to have teachers that can stand the test of time and we know that's not to say that you must be a brilliant mathematics teacher in order to succeed but rather that when you are ready to start start learning about mathematics go beyond simple addition and subtraction you need someone who can help you identify that maths is not a series of boring repetitive exercise from a textbook nor a ma nor that maths is made up of a set of discrete topics that are packaged neatly in textbook chapters you need someone to tell you the secret to succeed in maths. The secret to succeed in maths is understanding, accepting the following. One, that mathematics is a language. Math is not a set of confusing, you know, hierographs designed by some evil conspiracy to torture school children. An university student but rather a language built on rules in the same vein 
We learn any language. We must learn the alphabets and the rules used if we are to have any success in exercising or expressing our ideas or understanding other using the language. The primary rule of language in mathematics is order of operation. Many people do not see this clearly. And funny enough, some teachers in some circles still believe that the most popular order of operation we know called the BODMAS, an acronym which stands for B for bracket. O, many in error say it is off. There is nothing like that. Off does not constitute any order of operation. Rather, the off is order which represents the exponents and the roots and so on and so forth. Number two, mathematics is based on logic. You cannot continue doing maths like a laborer who relies on his physical muscle to lift his rock and place it on the other end and do this exercise over and over and over again. I bet you there will come a time that the rock will not leave the ground and his waist and his spines will not be strong enough to lift them. But if you build your mathematical understanding on logic, you know that mathematics has rules and mathematical rules are firmly based on logic, in logic. For example, if we accept that and then it follows that why is this is a simple example Complex mathematical rules are built by joining together many more simple rules. Whatever we call complex today in maths has a very simple beginning. It is when you do not understand all the nitty-gritty which form the simple parts like a brick, then the whole structure will be confusing and so complex that most people will say is a monster. When the logic is violated, the result can be a set of mathematics that seem to prove the, ridicul the, uh, the ridiculous. When you break the rules in maths, you establish a ridiculous result. And if you are careful about how you apply the rules and ensure you don't violate them, then you will likely not go wrong. But each time you violate rules in maths, definitely, you're heading for the rocks. Number three, mathematics is interconnected. It is not an, an isolation of ideas. It is not like an island that have no relevance to the other. Yes, there are separate facts that are fitly knitted together to make reason and to present logical explanation and conclusion so mathematics is interconnected like many things in life mathematical ideas are often connected to more than one other idea techniques such as those that apply to linear function often reappear in other areas of mathematics for example in the statistical technique of simple linear regression 
as, as such. It is dangerous to treat mathematics as a set of discrete skills learned for one chapter of a textbook and forgotten shortly after the topic test. And this is the case of our system today in Nigeria. Instead, one should consider each newly acquired skill or technique as part of an arsenal or toolkit to be drawn upon for future problem. Number four, mathematics is everywhere. I wonder why people don't see it. You wake up on a rectangular bed. Everything you do, you can bring in geometry. Everything you do, you can bring in algebra. Anything you do, you can bring in logic. Why do we then say maths is not life? Maths is everywhere. Much of mathematics taught in schools and universities suffer from the inability to answer the highly intelligent question, where will I use this in real life? When you bring the notion that calculus as it may, many will ask you, where will I use this in real life? And that is because we do not connect maths to reality. When you connect mathematics to real life from the foundation and you continue to build on that strategy as you go up higher, you realize that it becomes more meaningful and ideas and intuition will increase. And at the end of the day, there will be a big revolution of invention and understanding and interconnectivity of past ideas and bringing up new ideas that will lead to inventions of the future, unfortunately. It is often difficult to point to a real-world situation and make a plausible justification for the direct use of much of the mathematics taught in high schools. Pythagoras' theorem is a classic case. The, ancient, the ancients knew that if you take a rope, place knots at equal distance, and then use this to construct a triangle that had sides of three knots or four knots or five knots, then the triangle contained a right angle. Very useful for construction and constructing buildings that won't easily fall down. Despite this, it is unlikely that many modern students will need to build a pyramid for their pharaohs so why why should they learn it if it's not going to be useful well pythagoras theorem is about more than right angles right angle triangles it is also it also tells us about relationship between many members and is a theorem that the basis of much of mathematics used in modern computing, communication, and also in cryptographies. So friends, it behoves us to understand that at this time, big brain mathematics is not 
just a new thing. We are only trying to create a synergy. We are trying to arouse your understanding, arouse your consciousness that maths should be taken seriously from day one. And the method and techniques adopted by the Big Brain Educational Network, they are clear, they are simple, they are incorporated, and it helps you to solve complex mathematics problems, and it appears easy, logical, and interesting. When teachers teach in class, how do you present maths? You make maths look like a monster? You cannot explain it when you don't know it. And anytime you teach maths and you do not present it simple, yes, the clarion call for you to go back to study, go and reteach yourself. Because if you cannot teach it simply, you don't know it enough. If you cannot demystify maths, you don't know it enough. Then something has to be done. And we are here to partner with you. Thank you very much. That will be all for this session. But don't forget, maths is cool. Bye. Welcome, we want to look at mathematical literacy for the 21st century. Under this, uh, I'm going to look at meaningful problem solving, powerful practices for supporting productive struggle, and under that also we'll look at the mindset matters, tasks and tools, effective questioning, productive struggling, uh, taking everything one step at a time. So we'll look at mathematical literacy. I want to plead with my audience, wherever you are around the world. My name is Moses Tetengi, and I'm the president of the Big Brain Educational Network Nigeria. Actually, it is Big Brain Educational Network International. That's our registered name. But we maintain Nigeria to give us uh, a kind of identity with our wonderful, proud, uh, you know, being proud of Nigeria. So mathematical literacy. The question that comes to mind, first of all, is what is mathematical literacy? What is mathematical literacy? We have heard of literacy. And we know and when somebody is literate, means that person is learned. So mathematically, a literate student should be able, or a literate teacher, because surprisingly, in many years of my research and work in this field, I realized that some teachers who have in the classroom actually are illiterates. When you have an enumerate teacher 
a maths teacher went to university read maths but yet is not numerate is not given to it his life is not in tune with it he looks as if is an odd number among even numbers so but we want to look at it on the positive side now mathematical literacy is being able to do understand and apply mathematics not only in the classroom but in everyday life when you are able to apply mathematical concept understand mathematical concept apply so threefold one to do two understand and three apply and is not limited to just the classroom and the way we present maths to the learner make him to see either in a broad spectrum or in a myopic level and most of the time when we constrict the maths we teach to the four walls of the classroom then the old aim is defeated and no wonder today we have the kind of problem we have when it comes to maths mathematically literate students or mathematically literate teachers are able to analyze reason and communicate ideas effectively as they pose formulate solve and interpret mathematical problems in a variety of situations when you say you are mathematically literate and you are not able to analyze you are not able to break down mighty things mighty elephants to ants the mathematical topics that looks like elephants and you are not able to break it down to ant levels then you are not literate reasoning <clears throat> excuse me reasoning we are not when you are not able to apply reasoning to mathematics then there's a question and some will tell you oh i read maths i have phd in maths but i have problem i cannot transmit i cannot teach i find it difficult to teach them then when you do not have effective communication ideas you don't have you don't know how to communicate ideas effectively it's just like when you eat your food it goes down to your to your stomach and your body is not able to break down this food to various components and your body also absorbing them to various departments that are needful then how will you grow how will you grow so analyze reason communicate effectively and also to pose formulate and solve mathematical problem in a variety of situation sometimes we tend to think that when we talk about mathematical literacy or math as a whole is to apply it in looking for x we'll look for x from a we'll look for x up to z now we need to apply math concept to different situation because life as it is is dynamic just like a virus 
Sometimes you see this virus, they react with the environment and they change. They mutate. And if you do not understand that the people you deal with in the class are different and this environment you create for them will make them to mutate either to be a phobic or to increase their dyscalculic tendency or to worsen their mass disability, then we need to do the right thing. So developing mathematical literacy is hinged on three basic facts. And these are critical components. Number one component is teaching for conceptual understanding. When you teach math, your, your goal, your, your, your goal from onset should be that you are teaching for conceptual understanding. Two, developing children's procedural literacy. Let them understand step one, step two, step three. Let them understand the processes, not getting question and jumping to answer. Most of the time, we make children believe that maths, each time you ask a question in maths, the next thing you should be looking out for is just answer and capit, nothing more. No. You put the question, you pose your question in such a manner that would, you know, will prepare a kind of procedural you know, understanding and they will follow these things as it ought. Number three, promoting strategic competence through meaningful problem-solving investigation. Promoting strategic competence through meaningful problem-solving investigation. When we talk about problem-solving investigation, that means we have to allow these children or the students, the learner, we have to allow them, you know, bring up their own intuition. They should be part of the decision. They should be part of it. If a child wakes up today and tell you two plus two is not is five, well, as a teacher who is literate, a teacher who is balanced, you need to allow the child to explain why. Just like a case of a child. The teacher brought out two mangoes. And said, Tom, one mango plus one mango. If I give you this one mango and I give you another one mango, how many mango do you have? The teacher was trying to teach addition. And the young chap said, I have three mango. The teacher was, you know, baffled. And said, Class, one mango. If I give you one mango and I give you another one mango, how many mango do you have? The whole class crossed two. He turned back to the young boy again and said, Now, you need to get it right this time. Now, I give you one mango and I give you another one mango. How many mango do you have? The boy still said three. But when the teacher asked, Why? Are you daft? Is your head not in class? You seem not to follow. But he failed to remember to ask the boy, why did you say it is three? Can you prove it? The boy had the mango in his bag. And the question is, I give you one mango and I give you another mango. How many mango do you have? And the boy remembered he had one mango in the bag. And to his own uh, competition the mango he already had one mango and when the teacher gave him two more mangoes he has three mangoes and the boy was right the teacher too was right but then the situation the terrain 
was not clear. The teacher did not understand. He wasn't listening. And this is a problem with many of us. So, we take the next step. Let's talk about productive struggling. Many teachers are afraid. When their children come up after exams or a test and they all fail, majority of the class fail, the teacher feel, the math teacher will feel, no, my job is on the line, my job is on the line. They have to pass. Some will even cook marks for them. They will just create a way and just make them pass. Why? Because we do not have what we call productive struggling. When we use this term, productive struggling, struggle, it refers to the effort to make sense of or to figure something out that is not immediately apparent. Just like when you are drawing a rope, making a tug of war. From the other end of the wall, some people are pulling the rope and on this side you are pulling the rope. You need to pull more harder to see how many of the rope can come to your end. And that struggle is targeted at getting more of the, of the rope to your side. And productive struggling, it is not to say that during productive struggling, you may not fall. It is not also to say that during productive struggling, you may not fail. You will get zeros. Yes. Failure is part of success in maths. It is the much failure you have that becomes your stepping stone to rise. When you pass a street and you come around along the street again, you keep passing that same junction over and over and over. At a point, if they close your eye or blindfold you and take you around that same street, you will almost understand the birds singing around that place. And every particular thing there, you will know it. You can ask the blind man. Or the blind people they will explain this better so when we talk about productive struggling it is giving the child or the learner the opportunity to you know develop and there are two things that we see here I will give two examples I will compare so that you understand we look at destructive struggle and productive struggle in a comparison I put them in a balance when we say destructive struggle, number one, it leads to frustration. Hmm. Productive struggle, destructive struggle leads to frustration. Why productive struggle leads to understanding? Because you are struggling, yes, but you have a target. You have an intuition, you have a logic, you have a critic, you are critical about it. Critical thinking, logical thinking. We call it a higher order thinking. Two, destructive struggle. Learning goals feel hazy and out of reach. Just like in a class, in a normal mathematics class in our secondary school, for our secondary schools today in Nigeria, you ask a child to look for X and he tell you, am I the one that misplaced it? Why will I look for it? That means he is, he, there is no, the learning goal is not is not directed towards you know reaching a particular target but when we are looking at productive struggle on that same line it makes the it makes learning learning goals feel attainable and 
effort, you know, seem. Just like a seamless effort. So, and he knows that this struggle has a purpose. Coming back to destructive struggle, number three, it feels fruitless. They want to tell you why, why do we have to even do maths? Because as teachers, we have made this thing. We put these children through destructive struggles and they come out with this negative trait and tomorrow you say you have tried your best you taught them you organize extra class no it's not by the rigor it's by you being you know pragmatically organized strategically organized and logically organized you will get results so productive struggle is positive while destructive struggle is negative another point i want to look at on that destructive struggle is that it leads students to feel abandoned and on their own when you give homework when you give exercise when you give tests when you give exams how much time do you create before the exam have you instilled in them the passion to move further even when they get zero have you instilled in them the passion to solve one to crack one mathematical problem for one week are you give them the have you given them the passion because you know the secret of invention is not saying when people invent things it doesn't mean somebody have not tried no somebody have tried and failed or tried and got a and now you are trying and you are getting a and b you are getting a new result the former and the new and that makes it a creative venture and if it is a productive struggle in line with that it leads students to you know to feelings of empowerment if you are mathematically sound you feel a, you feel like a superstar you feel as if you have superpowers because every problem that comes to your desk you are able to analyze and give professional results the next point under destructive struggle we see that it creates a sense of inadequacy while a product uh, destructive struggle creates a sense of inadequacy and productive struggle creates a sense of hope no matter the zero it is not this you know I, 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 I let me just talk to us as teachers you know I met someone who was, you know, pathetically concluding that he hated maths. And the reason, because each time he attempted, he gets zero. Each time he attempts, he gets zero. He wasn't fortunate to have a coach to inspire him beyond the zero. The many zeros you have, just keep them in the bank. Keep them in your cooler. The day you get a one, imagine you having... 20 zeros and attaching a one on the left hand side you can figure it out if that will be translated into money you can figure it out how rich you will be same with knowledge those mistakes those falling downs they are part of the success journey so productive struggle for deeper learning to take place struggle is not optional it is a must for deeper learning to take place. The struggle, the role, the time for struggle is not optional. It is a necessity. So when you take struggle out of the learning quest of a child, you defeat, you deny him of growth. And one thing 
it applies to the brain. It is like a neurological requirement. It is neurologically required that we struggle with maths. We struggle, constructive, productive struggling. What behavior, behaviors or skills, ability, abilities do productive struggle exhibit? Let me answer that question. What are the behaviors or skills or ability that somebody, a productive struggler, will exhibit? A productive struggler will have something in mind. And that is the habit. You have a mathematical habit of mind. A mathematical habit of mind. The modes of thought that enables us to reason about the world from a quantitative and spatial perspective and to reason about maths content. When we say mathematics, when we say habit of, habit of mind, mathematical habit of mind, means the mood of thought, the way we think, the way we reason. You ask three people, different A, B, C persons, quest, the same question, they listen, they, they heard the question at the same timing, but their reasoning, their processing depends on the depth of their logical reasoning. And the mode of their thoughts that enables, that make possible, enables us to reason about the world from a quantitative and a spatial perspective and to reason about math content. And that is why uh, sometimes even in school, just the ordinary primary quantitative question, you find out that most students struggle with it. Why? They struggle, good, but if their struggling is not logically supported, they just suffer, and at the end of the day, they'll tell you it's fruitless. What are the standards for mathematical practice? Number one, make sense of problems. And persevere in solving them. That's number one. Standard of mathematical practice. Make sense of problems and persevere in solving them. Two. Reason abstractly and quantitatively. Reason abstractly and quantitatively. Three. Construct viable arguments and critic the reason of others. Construct viable argument and critic the reasoning of others. Four, model with mathematics. When you hear, when you see things, you want to invent something, you want to construct something, you want to bring out an idea, bring them together. Use mathematical variations and bring them together. Use mathematics to model whatever thing you want to talk about. Model with maths. Five, use appropriate tools strategically. Six, attend to precision. Seven, look for and make use of structures. These are pillars. These are like pillars you need to form the bridge called maths across the mighty ocean of confusion. Look for 
and express regularity in repeated reasoning. Now, I want to tailor this in simple three combination. The first set of combination is reason and explaining. Reasoning and explaining. Reasoning and explaining. The next one is modeling and using tools. Modeling and using tools. Three, scene structures and generalizing. Scene structures and generalizing. Now, this like this is just like a pillar. And uh, if if we are to be using a, a visual slide, you will see how uh, this is organized. And you know that will also help to support uh, understanding. I just believe that in the future we'll have uh, access to videos through this platform. But for now, we can only produce audios. But when there are only when we are able to work up the the video aspect, then uh, we'll be able to you know show you these things and let you have it on this uh, uh, podcast station. Now, two types of problem solvers. We have two types of problem solvers. They solve problems, yeah. But there are two types. One, inexperienced problem solvers. Inexperienced problem solvers. When you when you are a problem solver, it's good. And if you are a math teacher, inexperienced in the in, in, in math itself, then you don't know. You don't know. Inexperienced problem solvers don't know what to do when they don't know what to do. Simple. You don't know what to do when you don't know what to do. You create a lacuna, an empty void. Number two, two types of problem solvers. The experienced problem solver do know what to do when they don't know what to do. Let's compare. Inexperienced problem solvers don't know what to do when they don't know what to do. They just don't know. Flat line. But here, the experienced problem solver, he do know what to do when they don't know what to do. Take it again. Do know what to do when they don't know what to do. I'm making this emphasis because I realized that in my years of experience, uh, this aspect is very, very important. So I will leave the uh, the first part, which is the in the the, the inexperienced, uh, you know, uh, problem solver, and look at the uh, experienced problem solver. So I want to concentrate because I want to I want to believe that we are trying to build up ourselves, you know, give us more experience. And so I'm looking at a, a, a kind of a circle chart, you know, uh, to show the problem solver or the problem solving strategies. Now let's have problem solving strategies in the middle. You can take pen and paper and sketch out what I'm trying to do. Just draw out uh, like a chart, a, a problem solver in the in the middle. Then. Uh, Stretch out one. The first one will start from draw a picture. When you hear a problem solver, when he hears a question, he draws a picture. Two, finds a pattern. Three, make a list from his past experience, from his want to be, 
Then, you make a table. Make a table. The next one, solve a similar, a simpler problem. When you have complex problems, you, you go into them and you are not having headway, you come back, you draw a picture, find a pattern, make a list, make a table, solve a simpler problem, guess and check. Then act out the problem. Act out the problem. Visualize it. Make it three-dimensional. Make it real. Apply it to real life. Then walk backward. Because you know, funny enough, a majority of our mass teachers, it's just like a car having 100 gears, but all forward gears. No one reverse gear. And our brain has not been configured to work like that. Our brain is rightly fitted to work forward gears and a backward gear. You need a reverse engineering. And if you do not reverse engineer your lesson, your logic, your reasoning, most of these problems will be, you know, daunting. You, you cannot really have, achieve results. So work backwards. Write an equation. These are the strategies of problem solving, uh, you know, strategies now when we say a problem solver he attempts to understand the problem one basic thing with a problem solver experienced problem solver is that he attempts to understand the problem number two he makes sense of the situation then chooses strategies and tools you make sense of the situation and chooses strategies and tools. Now we'll continue by looking at um, how to support productive struggle. Supporting productive struggle. As a teacher, you know, uh, just like an athlete who runs and maybe faints along the line, he needs support. Sometimes life support. One. Do you simply provide students information or steps they must follow in a bit of supporting them? Do you give direct guidance in your lesson? Do you offer probing guidance? One, do you simply provide students information or steps they must follow? You just come to class, introduce the lesson. Talk about one or two examples, then give step one, step two, and you're done. Or do you give direct guidance? You do this and do that. Or do you offer probing guidance? You set their minds, you know, rolling. Let their minds do the thinking. Do you provide clues that will assist them in their work? Just like a wild goose chase. Or you take them to the forest and... They are looking for a square root under the root of a tree. For instance, not in reality anyway. I'm just putting this just to explain, to buttress this point. Do you give them clues? Then, if that is it, it's just like a piece of the puzzle. When you have broken all the puzzles and now you want to put them together. The first thing you look at is a powerful practice. And that is built on our mindset. 
the mindset should not be that maths is impossible. And impossibility should not be in your dictionary. In fact, there are many times we use a maths, but one word we don't use in maths is impossible. So when you tell children, ah, do this, uh, 2 minus 5 is impossible. Nah. Introduce languages at an early stage. It helps them to understand. And don't work always at the ambits, the limits of the curriculum. You need to think outside the box. All those that think inside the box are going nowhere. You need to be creative. There is no room for creativity within the box. There is no room for logical intuition within the box. You need to go outside the box. So powerful practices hinging on, on, on a positive mindset, pedagogical knowledge, content knowledge. These powerful practices, when applied in maths, helps because we know that when we talk about powerful powerful practices it has to do with the mindset is a mindset matter there are some mindset that teachers have that are even detrimental to their work if your mindset as a man mathematics teacher is not such that improving intelligence or you have a kind of a misconception that oh boys are better than girls in maths Oh, when you are tall, you are good in maths. When you are short, you are not good in maths. When you are bald-headed, you are good in maths. When you are not bald-headed, you are hairy, you are not good in maths. No, those things are rubbish. So, powerful practices hinging on our mindset matter. One, fixed mindset teachers perceive students as having a fixed amount of intelligence that cannot be altered. You go to some classes, they tell you, no, this one's, <laughs> that's all. They can't go beyond that. They can't go beyond that. When you conclude as a teacher, you point them to the fence, the high wall of the fence. You do not point them to the moon. The moon is farther than the fence. It is easier to climb the fence. But a limited teacher, a fixed-minded teacher, will only point them to the limits of the fence. But a, a teacher that is having a broad mind will point them to the moon and make them go that distance and you don't expect somebody who have gone as high as the sky to be the same as the one that is standing on top of a mountain no two growth mindset teachers when you are a growth mindset teacher as opposed to a fixed-minded teacher a growth mind mindset teacher believes that students can alter their intelligence by exercising their brain and being given the appropriate feedback and guidance when they make a mistake. Remember, I told you, mistake is part of the process. Powerful practices, fostering productive struggle. If you want to establish, you want to achieve the benefit of productive struggle in your class, the teacher, one, a teacher must create a climate that supports mathematical thinking and communication. Two, the teacher responds in a way that keeps the focus on thinking and reasoning rather than only getting the right answer, which is 
sadly the case in many situations. Fostering powerful struggle is like when we have a process versus person praise. Process versus person praise. Instead of praising students for their talent or being smart, teachers should praise students for one, the strategies they use. You have to look out. Don't copy textbooks and bring those ridiculous, boring, uninteresting methods over and over and over. That is not to say you do it with them. But when you pick one or two, then create a situation. Point them to the moon. Because a child is getting good grades, is not a conclusion that the child is very smart or can do well when real life situations come so the teacher must ensure that the strategies that the student use you understand them and you look out for them two specific work they do out of class exercises or training makes a lot of difference in children and these are inspired by teachers it's not by just giving homework you may give homework and they give take it to another person you, there are strategies you can adopt maybe one of these days we'll talk about homework how you monitor a work that is done at home what you expect but if what you expect is always the final answer sorry they will always give you the final answer. But in the test, you'll be disappointed. So, the teacher should, all, instead of praising the children, they should look out for their pers you know, persistence or effort. You can even give them a wrong question. A question that is not balanced. A question that is not going to give them results. You give them a wrong question. You give them a wrong setting, deliberately. And let them go and struggle. And that struggle, you see those who have struggled, you see it in their notes, those who they tried on this page, on that page, on that page, this way, that way, that way. Then you discover your Einsteins and the geniuses in your class. But if you give them a close-ended question and from the beginning they just walk through this particular passage and boom, answer is there. No, we will not be teaching them how to have powerful practice. Now, embracing productive struggle, the students are, number one, accustomed to explaining their ideas and questioning solutions that don't make sense to them. Is your class giving room for this? For students to come up and say, this is my idea. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me, teacher, you got this, but I don't agree with it because it did not comply with what I know. Can you explain further? Do you have this in your class? If you don't have this kind of environment, then that is a problem. The students are not afraid. In a class that has productive struggle, the students are not afraid to take risk and know that it is acceptable to struggle with some ideas and to make mistakes. If mistake is a taboo in your class, then please change your course, change your subject area. Maybe you go to, I don't know, 
but not maths. Recognize the students are recognize that mistakes are a means to learning and not an end. And teachers, at this juncture, I wish to tell you also that mistakes is not the end, but a means to learning. I take the next point. The next segment of this discourse is mathematical task. Imagine a laborer in a construction site. What is his task? So carry the bricks, carry the blocks, carry the sand, mix the stones, lift it up, take it down, do whatever is you know required of him. The same thing. There is no decision a teacher makes that has a greater impact on students, students' opportunity to learn, and on their perceptions about what mathematics is than the selection or creation of the task with which they engage students in studying mathematics. There is no decision a teacher makes that has a greater impact on students' opportunities to learn and on their perceptions about what mathematics is than the selection or creation of the task with which they engage students in studying mathematics. So, this creates a very serious note that we should understand that nothing should be left unturned. Nothing should be learned, left unturned. I have developed a cognitive demand here. And this cognitive demand is a four level of cognitive demand. Number one, doing mathematics is high level. Yes. But let me talk about the low level. Because this will lead me to talking about lots, L-O-T-S, and HOTS, H-O-T-S. Lots is the lower order thinking strategy. Lower order thinking strategy. And I'll break those everything into two. Procedures without connecting to concepts or meaning is a low level thinking and strategy. So if you give procedures without connecting these procedures to concepts and meanings, it's a low level. They get the lesson, but they forget. Memorization also is also low level like ordinary teaching of multiplication table you don't apply concept you don't apply ideas you don't apply logic you just teach them to recite re like rhymes like birds they sing well it works for some but majority it doesn't work even for you that it worked for long some time ago how much of your multiplication table do you remember even as a teacher i've met teachers that you ask them what is nine times seven and they spend more than one minute thinking and sometimes if they try to beat up time they make mistake so cognitive demand on a higher level means doing maths when i say doing maths means the act of you know Practice, correct practice, doing maths, hands-on maths. 
then procedures with connections to concept and meaning is higher level so doing math is higher level memorizing low level when your procedures are connected to concept and meaning is high level and when it is not connected to concept and meaning it is low level now let's take them some problems as we get to uh, you know the concluding part of this session when we talk about problems for example what fraction of the rectangle below is shaded i have uh, three squares on one side i call it rectangle one and on another side i have two squares and a rectangle lying on top covering the stretch of the uh, of these two squares and when you are asked this question what fraction of the rectangle is shaded in similar questions it is logical to allow students approach solving problem in different ways using different strategies and this help them to better understand mathematics it helps them to develop mathematical fluency and they see mathematics as a worthwhile and doable they see it, they see it as worthwhile and doable so doing so sets the stage for transferring conceptual knowledge to new situation but when you fix everything just like you give them uh, a, a rules and regulation and they cannot go outside that then the whole idea is defeated so mathematical tool that we need to hold just like just the dice do you know that in the face of that dice any figure any number of dice you see the opposite will make up seven if i'm seeing one on top it means the one on the bottom should be a six if i'm seeing two the one at, at the opposite end should be a five the sum of both ends gives you seven it's just a two just a two that sparks up an idea it helps it helps there are places they work perfectly so effective teacher knows that using a variety of mathematical tools shapes the way that students think and helps build conceptual understanding of the house and the wise of mathematics the house and the wise of mathematics is the reason why many students today find it strange to even do maths in the first place so the value in representation is visual and manipulatives valuable visuals what number one a value a, a viable sorry a viable problem solving strategy when we have visuals and manipulatives is a viable problem solving strategy is very very effective sometimes we tend to say oh, we don't have tools we don't have gadgets no you improvise you improvise you improvise if you know where you are going and you don't have what you need what you have you use it to get what you want so communicates mathematical ideas and aid in the conceptual understanding of maths so visual manipulatives communicates mathematical ideas and aids or help in the conceptual understanding of maths visual and manipulatives visuals and manipulatives 
can cl clarify the conditions of the problem with little or no text. Sometimes you don't need to write notes. I, sometimes I do wonder. To teach maths, must you write all the notes in the world? You fill up the board, you fill up the board, you keep writing, you keep writing notes upon notes upon notes. No. Make sense of it. And you don't need the notes. Apply visuals and manipulatives. Besides, if you say you are a 21st century teacher and you don't know how to apply visuals and manipulatives, please go for our course and make sure you get it, you know, certified and knowledgeable in that aspect. Helpful for language, you know, uh, deficits of students. When you have visual and manipulatives, some of these students, they have poor background. And when they have language, uh, you know, problem, like dyslexic students, but when you have manipulatives or dis even dyscalculic students, if you have manipulative and visuals, you'll be able to bridge that gap and give them, you know, better understanding. The next thing we need to use is pictures. Concrete bar models. Let's apply models. Statistical models, variables, you know, apply concrete models and these models can be used as bars can be used as number lines you can use number lines to do your addition subtraction multiplication you can use your ruler the, the the slide rule there are many things that can be applied but let's come back to effective questioning when we say questioning now not effective learning now effective questioning when you question you must teach your children the act of questioning so that when they question their question will come with reason will come with logic will come with curiosity so to foster independent creative thinking and curiosity effective questioning is to foster independent creative thinking and curiosity If uh, a JS3 student, you know, come up and say, okay, uh, let's look at these generic responses. No. Now, the first one is, how do you work that out after writing the question? Maybe you say, K minus 12 plus powerful. Or you set a question, an ordinary question on the board. And your question is, how do you work that out? Now, you have not asked them for the real final answer. You said, how do you work that out? You are requiring for process. And maybe somebody solved it and gets an answer. Then the next question that comes to mind, you call up another person. Can you solve that another way? Powerful. 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 So number one of my K-12 powerful generic response question is, how do you work that out? Number two, could you solve that another way? Number three, could you generalize your result? Maybe the child, the result is too scanty and, you know, not really focused. You bring it back home. So I bring everything down into that. Let's work with the three. Now, framing question. It's still part of it, but I'm using it as a sub, another subheading to, you know, portray uh, its relevance. Now, framing questions for particular content can also provide opportunities to develop students' mathematical thinking. 
this is the content you are using you frame question on a particular content so you'll be able to you know uh you know get the result maybe you have it you have a topic broken down you frame your question to fit you know don't really no i'm not suggesting you follow everything done in a textbook no you know your students you know their you know their pros and cons you 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 know your target you know your outside the box result you want to re, uh, achieve then you reorganize reorganize your questioning now we have types of question and we are too used to the close question just like when the door is locked imagine you just stand behind your door lock it up lock it up with the key and stand behind it it's just like when you ask the question and say, what is the mean of 5, 11, 7, and 1? What is the mean of 5, 11, 7, and 1? That's a close, you know, question. Of course, your answer is just one. But when that same question is presented in an open question, you say, I have four different numbers with an average of six. What are the four numbers? I have four different numbers with an average of six. What are the four numbers? Now, this will lead to reasoning, logical reasoning. And as a result, you know, at the end of that exercise, more knowledge will be, you know, achieved. Now, questions and prompt examples for mathematical thinking. I'm taking this list from uh, a book written by uh, Watson and Mason in 1998. Now, one, show me or give me an example of the question you ask. Number two, what other information is needed in order to answer the question? These are critical questioning. Or you say, or I call it higher order questioning. You say, what is the same and what is different about it? The next one. Is it always true? Sometimes true? Or never true? That may ask the question. Or you say, sort or organize these according to a particular rule. Why do or and why do blah blah and you know all give the same answer? That is in a case where maybe you have two or three methods that have been applied and you want to make a connection. Now, productive struggle is like one step at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. Find percents, find the percentage of this. It's like you are looking for the final answer. Now, when you say Cameroon found a jacket marked 20% off. If the original price is 19 era, how much is the is the discount? Yeah. That means you are telling us that the sales has a discount of 20%. And if the sales price is original price is 19 era and there's a 20% discount, how much are you going to pay or how much is the discount? And that will lead us to having a better understanding. So, pop up your brain pop up your brain pop up your brain power to boost your mass power pop up your brain power to boost your math power the more you engage your students in learning 
and doing mathematics, the better or the greater the chances of them developing mathematical habits of mind of a productive mathematical thinker, an experienced problem solver who who does know what to do when to don't when they don't know what to do let me take that the more you engage your students in learning and doing mathematics the greater the chances of them developing mathematical habits of mind of a productive mathematical thinker an experienced problem solver who does know what to do when they don't know what to do and that will bring me to the end of this session i want to say that be a creative math teacher be a learner be a 21st century teacher improve yourself connect with the big brain mathematics network and my name is moses tetengi i bow out for now i'll see you again in our next episode thank you god bless you